This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right, let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. I can't quit laughing. I'm so sorry. (laughs) You came in all hot with your bad attitude, and that's normally me. Oh, what can I say? Sex trafficking puts me in a bad mood. <laughs> Welcome to the dark side. <laughs> now you get to start by like, I'm grumpy. <laughs> well, you put me in a good mood just now, so I'm not grumpy okay. anymore. <laughs> you made me laugh. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mo Gap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. Can I tell you what made me laugh today real quick? It's yes. Giving Tuesday, and as part of Giving Tuesday, you know, I was running the fundraising campaign, and I get copied as well as all of my coworkers on the, like, notifications of gifts that came in and sweet rpw made a gift in my honor didn't realize like all of my coworkers are going to be copied on like the tribute message oh. and you know in, in delta gamma we have like the fun sisters helping sisters it's like a need-based scholarship that's the name of it russell made a gift and uh <laughs> on the tribute wrote misters helping sisters <laughs> <laughs> and when i tell you i died <laughs> Because I know that everyone I work with got it. It was like Mr. Helping Sisters. Anyways. Like he just thought you were going to see it. Yeah. When he just thought he was so clever, you know. Mr. Helping Sisters. <laughs> the new bros before hoes. I like it better. Oh, man. Uh, Russell. Anyways. Okay, so we are doing a case. Oh, wait, we got to talk about the Patreon and we got to uh, make our announcement. This is our last episode before forever. We take- the podcast no, is ending. It's not. It's we will be back. Don't spread that rumor. This is the last episode of 2022. Is that correct? this is this is the last episode in 2022, a regular episode. So we will be taking our break, but if you are going to miss us in December, we will have a bonus episode out later this month and over on on our Patreon. So you can go check that out at patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers. At the $5 level, you get a bonus episode and a shout out on the podcast. If you want it, you got to sign up for it. At the seven, we also have a $7 level that you get all of that, plus you get a card with our autographs and a sticker 
and you get our mini creeps, which are like shorter episodes on all different sorts of stuff. And then we've got one more level, the $10 level that gets you all of that, plus a discount on merch and all of our episodes ad-free. Merch? Merch. Get some stocking stuffers, people. (laughs) So this episode has been on my list for one million years. I've been following this case kind of since it blew up all over social media about a year ago. And I've been like watching it and it just kind of came to a resolution like last month or the month before. And my friend texted me and she's like, are you ever going to do this case? Because it's a rabbit hole that I just can't go down. And I was like, (laughs) I mean, honestly, it'll surprise me if you don't know it, but it will also not surprise me if you don't know it. Yeah, Just over here (laughs) delivering. Yeah, I'm just delivering the most predictable takes. Right, exactly. So today I'm telling you about the disappearance of Sherry Papini. I love that last name. <laughs> Papini. So a, a big thanks to an episode of 2020, season 45, episode two, The Vanishing Act. Season 45? <laughs> Listen to me right now, Kristen Williams. I will not be doing season 45 of this podcast over my cold, dead body. (laughs) Another big source I used was the criminal complaint affidavit. It was like a 55-page affidavit, and it was very helpful. So here we go. It's 5.30 p.m. on November 2nd, 2016. A 911 call comes in to the Shasta County Dispatch in Redding, California. It's about two hours north of Sacramento. Shasta? Shasta. McNasty. Why do I want to say that? What? Ew. Is that like a person? Shasta I don't know. Shasta Shasta was the name of my uncle's pet mountain lion. So that's where I was going with that. I don't know about Shasta Shasta McNasty. It's also the U of H mascot. I don't think American. It was an American sitcom that was on UPN in 1999. Oh, that is not where I thought that was going. I don't remember this show, but for some reason, that was what I thought of. Okay, anyways. So you you did actually remember the show. Man, we got to, we're never going to get anywhere. No, we're not. Okay, we're going. The caller was a man named Keith Papini, who said he'd just arrived home and his wife Sherry wasn't there, which was unusual. He looked around the house and then thought maybe she was outside. But again, no one was there. He was trying not to panic. He called the daycare where their kids, four-year-old Tyler and two-year-old Violet, sometimes went. And he asked them what time Sherry had picked them up that day. But the daycare said the kids were still there. And it was at that moment that Keith knew something was wrong. So he opens up his Find My Phone app to find Sherry's phone, hoping that she would be with her phone. He saw that her phone was about a mile away. He drove to where it said the phone was, hoping he'd find Sherry, but all he found was her phone on the ground, on the side of the road. By itself. No car or anything? No what? No car? Like she, her, no car mm -mm, at home? No car. Okay. Mm -mm, Yeah. She was, she had, yeah. The headphones were attached to the phone and he saw several of her long blonde hairs wrapped around the phone and headphone as if it was snatched off her roughly. His first thought was that she had been out jogging and someone had taken her. 
Sherry was 34, beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes, very small, like 5'3", 105 pounds. Sherry was described as a super mom to Tyler and Violet. And according to Keith, she was a kind-hearted, down-to-earth person. They'd known each other since middle school. They'd had their first kiss in seventh grade. And then they'd (gasps) reconnected years later. And when they went out on their first date, he like had kept all these notes from middle school that she'd written him. And he... I swear to God, if he heard her... He took them in a box. Like, he'd kept them all that time. He took them on their first date and was like, look at all these notes. Like, to Keith, it felt like they were always meant to be. In 2009... (laughs) In 2009, they got married and they moved into Keith's childhood home where they started their life together. They were just a really beautiful couple. But seven years later, in 2016, Sherry had gone missing. Her cell phone, purse, wallet, IDs, all of that was found at the house. But Sherry had vanished. It definitely seemed like foul play was involved. The way she went missing was very suspicious. Her bank accounts had not been touched. Like I said, all her personal stuff was at the house. And the likelihood of Sherry coming home was decreasing with every passing hour. There became this sense of fear in the area that there were these kidnappers out there. Mm-hmm. Immediately, possibly because of how blonde Sherry is, the public was very concerned. The amount of national media attention Sherry got was on par with some of the more well-known cases we've talked about. You couldn't turn on the news without hearing something about Sherry. The media had descended upon Redding, California, all trying to get their own angle on her disappearance. Keith answered every media request for an interview, any chance to be on TV and just get her story out there and keep her in the public eye, keep people caring about her. Yeah. I wonder sometimes if like these things, when you talk about like how much media attention they got, I wonder if it's not that I didn't know about it or hear about it or if it's just like I did and I forgot. Like think about how after one week of an episode, I have no idea. Like maybe I'm not (laughs) as out of touch as we think. Like maybe I really was like wrapped up in this. You know, I mean, it sounds like there's no way I would have known this was happening if it was like that, like everyone was like telling this story. Well, you know, I don't think at the time it's not it's not a sensation like Gabby Petito, where it was like you couldn't go on social media without hearing about it. TikTok, it was everywhere. I I don't know a single person that could have missed that. It wasn't like that. It's like, if you're not watching the news, you're not seeing it. You know, they're... I'm not watching the news. So... I maybe had vaguely heard of this, like, then, but it's like, it's a missing person. People are just talking about a missing person and people are missing every day. I really didn't hear about this until a couple of years ago. It kind of came back up in the news and made a big splash. And that's when I started he- really hearing about it. it was like a couple years ago. Mm. But in 2016, I, I'm sure I didn't know she was missing because I wasn't watching Nancy Grace or any of these other people that <laughs> were talking about it. <laughs> Which now you can impersonate, so. <laughs> I can try. Police found witnesses that reported seeing Sherry in the area on the day that she went missing and that she was wearing a pink top and she was jogging. Shasta County Sheriff's Office officials entered Sherry into the National Missing Persons Database, and they led multiple local and state agencies in extensive ground and aerial searches. Hundreds of volunteers came out to try and find Sherry. They did grid searches on foot looking for her. They canvassed the neighborhood and surrounding areas. 
The whole community seemed to come together to help the Papini family. A GoFundMe page was set up to aid in search efforts, and it raised almost $50,000. Oh, my gosh. Keith was volunteering in the search. All his friends and family were supporting him and looking for Sherry. One day, they were out on a hike looking for her, and he looked up, and he saw birds circling in the sky. And immediately, he thought he knew what that meant. And he just wondered, you know, am I about to find my wife's body? Like, and is that something I want to find? He knew he wanted to know what happened to her. He wanted to find her. But the thought of her being dead in these woods with these birds circling overhead was just too much for him. But it wasn't Sherry. Whatever those birds were doing, they weren't there because of her. Keith also had his two little kids to consider in the midst of all of this. Tyler was old enough to realize that his mom wasn't around, and Keith Aww. knew that he'd have to tell him something. So Keith like talked about, he was interviewed on the 2020, and he talked about this moment where he told Tyler that he had something to tell him, and Tyler like hopped up on the couch and said, you can tell me anything. And so he told him that his mom went on a run, and she never came home. And Tyler asked if he was looking for her. And Keith said, everyone is looking for her. The whole world is looking for her. And we're going to find her and we're going to get her back. Ugh. But nine days went by. It's now November 11th, 2016. Keith was sure that whoever had Sherry was keeping her. But he wondered if she was being fed, if she was cold. Hundreds of tips were pouring into the Shasta County Sheriff's Office and the FBI but police quickly ran out of viable leads or tips to pursue. Searches had been extended into several other states looking for Sherry, but at this time, after these nine days, police suspended the searches. Do they have to go, like, when they get a tip, mm-hmm. is it like, oh, we saw her, like, outside of this target? Like, do the police have to go to where every tip is or where they, like, do they have to pursue and, like, go check all of them? Or can you filter out? Yeah, I think think they have a way to, like, filter out if a tip is, like, credible or not. But that doesn't mean that the tip is, like, true. It just means, you know, it's it's highly likely that this person wasn't making this up. And so if somebody's like, I'm certain that I saw Sherry at Target. This is what she looked like. This is what she was wearing. This is what was happening. It seems like it was her. They probably would go check and see if there were cameras or, like, whatever and, like, check it out, you know, run down. Yeah. But Keith was not giving up. He continued to do interviews with the media. He started reaching out to reporters, asking to have him on their show. He did whatever he could to keep Sherry's face on the TV, to keep people caring about her, looking for her. But at this point, no leads, nothing. Keith is really the only suspect police had at this time. He's the husband. Something happened to the wife. He's the obvious suspect. So the police started watching all of those interviews that Keith was doing with interest, trying to see if there was anything that they could get out of them, anything that would point to him being behind this. Mm -hmm. And they did find some inconsistencies in his story. So family members of Keith started advising him to, like, get a lie detector test or an attorney, but Keith just kind of brushed him off. He's like, you know, I'm not going to do that. The police were digging into Keith, but they were digging into Sherry, too. You always want to find out as much as you can about the victim. They wanted to know everything they could about her, and they discovered that Keith was actually her second marriage. She'd been married before to a Marine sergeant in 2006, but this Marine said that they only got married because Sherry needed health insurance. 
What? He's Yeah. He said they never actually lived together and that they divorced in 2008, a year before she and Keith got married. This ex-husband lived out of state and said he hadn't spoken to Sherry in over six years at that time. So it seemed like a dead end. Yeah, but are we like fact checking that though? Yeah, they yeah, they're corroborating all of it. Mm-hmm. I love how you use the real word, like the true crime word, and I'm like, are they fact checking? <laughs> Fake news. God. I hate news. Yes. Sometimes. Well, I mean, I think they're like looking into like phone records, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. there's nothing that shows that they were in contact or anything like that. Right. Police were trying to keep an open mind about this. They knew what it looked like, foul play or a kidnapping, but it was also possible that Sherry had gone off on her own. So they were also looking into a possible connection with another disappearance of a pretty blonde from the same area named Tara Smith. Tara had gone missing in 1998 when she was 16. She'd vanished without a trace and was never found, and police wondered if the same thing was going to happen to Sherry. The only other lead police had to go on was her phone. When Keith had found the phone, he'd been smart enough to take pictures of it before he moved it or picked it up. The earbuds were coiled on top of the phone and there were strands of her hair left behind. And as police studied the picture of the phone, they started thinking that the phone didn't look like it had been thrown haphazardly or dropped. It looked like it had been placed there. Hmm. Why would random kidnappers stage the phone on the ground? It didn't really seem likely that they would. The only thing that made sense if the phone had, in fact, been placed there, which it's like we're grasping at straws at this point, you know? Right. But the only thing that would have made sense in that case was that Keith Papini had staged it. So they brought him <sighs> no, in for a- No, I, I refuse to this. <laughs> He's got a box of love dough. <laughs> So they brought him in for a polygraph examination, and Keith was very cooperative, very willing to come in for a polygraph. He figured the sooner he took it, the sooner they'd see he had nothing to do with this, and the sooner they could get onto other leads. And that's exactly what happened. Keith passed the polygraph, and police were also able to confirm his alibi for the day that Sherry went missing. Everything he did that day, police were able to corroborate. A coworker confirmed that they'd been with him all day. So Keith was cleared as a suspect, which left police back at square zero. It was very frustrating for investigators. 16 days after Sherry's disappearance on November 18th, 2016, Keith was contacted by someone claiming to be a hostage negotiator and offering to help him. His name oh, was Cameron okay. Gamble. <laughs> yes, his name was Cameron Gamble. And he told Keith that an anonymous donor was offering $50,000 for Sherry's safe return, no questions asked. Cameron Gamble was a former Air Force senior airman who now makes a living training people, anyone from military personnel to private citizens, on how to evade and escape capture. So Gamble posted a video on YouTube promising all this money to the kidnappers, and he gave the kidnappers the deadline of the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. But the kidnappers okay. never contacted him. The deadline the day before Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The deadline for the ransom came and went, and so Gamble ups the ante. He now announces that he's got six figures for anyone who turns in the kidnappers. Basic what is his like deal? What? Why is he like fronting all this money? He's not. There's an anonymous donor that's behind it. 
no idea about this anonymous donor. Well, yeah, I'm just curious, like what they're. Yeah, I don't know. If they're even real. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, I have no idea. I did wonder the same thing because it was weird. But he's basically incentivizing any bounty hunters out there to go out and hunt down these kidnappers. Gamble said he wanted to make it so tempting that the abductor's own mother would have turned him in. (laughs) Well, I would do that for way less, trust me. (laughs) You know. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. But then, the next day, three weeks after Sherry disappeared, on the morning of Thanksgiving 2016, A 911 call comes in from a trucker who was driving through Yolo County, which is like 150 miles south of Redding, who found a woman on the side of the road who needed help. 
The truck driver had been driving along when he saw a woman standing on the side of the road frantically trying to flag a car down. So he pulled over to help and then he called 911. When the dispatcher asked him what was wrong with the woman, the truck driver said, well, she said she got kicked out of her boyfriend's. But then the woman in the background screams, no, like that's not what I said. The truck driver told the dispatcher that the woman was chained up. She had a chain around her waist that one arm was bound to. She had additional bindings around her other wrist and her ankle. She said her vision was blurry and that she needed an ambulance. The dispatcher asked him what her name was, and she said, Sherry Papini. (gasps) The dispatcher asked if she could talk to her. So Sherry got on the phone. She asked who chained her up, and all Sherry could say was, I don't know, I don't know. She sounded completely distraught. She was sobbing, and she said she wanted to talk to her husband. Wait, how many days is this after she was missing? Three weeks. Three weeks. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, yeah, like 22 days or something. So we're like into December now. We've passed Thanksgiving, it's, like you said. This is Thanksgiving morning. This is oh, the morning of Thanksgiving. Okay. Yeah. Sherry was transported by ambulance to the Woodland Hospital. Detective Wallace, the lead detective in charge of her case, went there to speak with her, ready to find out how it was possible that after going missing for three weeks, she was still alive. But he quickly realized that she was not in good shape. Her long blonde hair had been chopped off and she was covered in injuries. Her arms, her face, her chest, her back, her legs, intense bruises and cuts all over her body. Her nose was swollen. Some places said it was broken. There were rashes on her arm and in her thigh, ligature marks on her wrists and ankles, burns on her left forearm, bruising on her pelvis. Yes, she'd lost 15% of her body weight in three weeks. And considering she weighed a little over 100 pounds when she left, that's a lot of weight. And most shockingly, she had been branded across her back <gasps> oh yes. hell no it was like it wasn't across her back it was like on her right shoulder blade like on the back on her right shoulder blade and it looked like a series of letters and numbers but it was hard to make it out sherry later said that she was pretty sure the word was exodus but couldn't make out the numbers underneath and at some point she said she thought it was exodus twenty-one sixteen, which says Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession, which just seems so weird that a kidnapper would brand that on her back. That and it's seems big. like a very weird scripture. That's what I'm saying. Like, it seems weird that they would brand that scripture. Like, well, I know it just feels like a weird scripture to exist. <laughs> I don't feel like I've ever heard Right, yeah, I don't think it's but... one that's like often, you know, used in the book. Yeah, I don't like the, the John 3.16. Like, Let's talk about Exodus 21.16 when nobody should be kidnapping people. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I just, uh. And this branding, it's big. You know, the letters look like they're at least an inch tall, maybe bigger. Detective Wallace said when he got to see her that she was pretty hostile towards him, which he didn't expect. But she said that she was afraid of the police. She was told by her kidnappers that she was going to be sold as part of a sex trafficking ring and that one of the people involved was a cop. So she absolutely Mm. did not want to speak to the police. She didn't know who she could trust. Detective Wallace just kept telling her he couldn't imagine what she'd been through, but all she'd say was that no one found her and she wanted her husband. 
She's like, y'all did not find me, and I want my husband. I feel like that's a weird thing to say, but. Well, I think if you've been missing for three weeks and, like, you had to save yourself, mm-hmm. obviously, like, yeah, maybe you're a little bitter. <laughs> like, y'all did not yeah, find me. Yeah, <laughs> something tells me I wouldn't be, uh, <laughs> yeah, super uh, positive. <laughs> right, right. So they brought Keith up to the hospital to speak to her, and they gave him a recorder, and they had him document what she said about her abduction. And she sounds so emotional in this recording when she and Keith were reunited. She was sobbing, saying she just wanted to see someone that she knew. And then she started sharing her story about what had happened to her. She was interviewed several times after this as well. So instead of breaking down each interview separately, I'm just going to kind of give you everything she said here. She said that day, on November 2nd, she followed her usual routine. She took her kids to daycare. She cleaned up around the house, and she'd started wrapping a present for Keith. Around 11, she sent a text to him asking if he'd come home for lunch, but he said he couldn't, so she decided to go for a run. She'd recently had a boob job, but it had started healing enough that she could jog, so she was starting to train for a local 5K using this cell phone app that helped her train, and she would use Michael Couch Bublé's- to 5K? Probably. I mean, it's got to be that. Yeah. We've all done it. We've all tried. (laughs) She used Michael Buble's Everything, which was their wedding song, as her pacekeeper. And when they found her phone, it was playing that song on repeat. While she was out on her run, she saw a dark colored SUV drive past her and then stop and back up. She saw that it was two Hispanic women wearing face masks in the SUV, an older one and a younger one. At first, the younger one called to her from the passenger seat saying they needed help, so Sherry took an earbud out of her ear to hear her better, and as she walked towards the SUV, the younger woman opened the car door, pointing a gun at Sherry, and she just froze. (gasps) The woman told her to put her phone down and said they didn't want to kill her, but she needed to get in the car. So Sherry put her phone and earbuds on the ground, and she pulled out a few strands of her hair to place on top of it which I could never really find why she did that. But the only thing I could think of is like it was something she thought of to like maybe they'll find her or like know that it's hers or something. I'm not sure. Yeah. Or know something happened to her if she put that there. I would think to do that maybe if I like – but my phone is like a whole personal computer about my whole life. Right. So like I don't I guess think with the, the strands of hair maybe it, it would point to something bad has happened. More than... Yeah, I didn't just, like, drop my phone. Right. So she got in the car, and she said she had no idea how long they drove for. She said she lost a lot of time that day. They'd put something around her face. At one time, she said it was, like, a pillowcase, so she couldn't see where they were going or even track what time of day it was. She was lying in the back of the vehicle on the floor, and her hips had started aching from that position. She thinks she was tased, and the next thing she remembered, she was waking up in a room with her wrists zip-tied, and she was in different clothes. She had been wearing her jogging Mm -hmm. clothes, but now she was in sweatpants and a sweatshirt. In a later interview, she said it was just a plain t-shirt and her underwear. She tried to break the zip-ties off, but they were bound behind her back. Eventually, she managed to chew through the zip-ties. She couldn't explain how she'd gotten the zip-ties to the front of her body. She then tried to open the door of the room that she was in, but it was locked with a deadbolt. She stood on the bed, which was just a mattress on the floor, to try to get out of the window, it was, but it was covered with boards. 
So she ripped one of the boards down. She said she broke a nail doing it or it like ripped her nail off. And the noise. Yeah, I know. And the noise caused the kidnappers to run into the room. They hit her with something. And the next thing Sherry knew, she was waking up in a lot of pain. She said anytime she made any noise, her captors would run into her room. She said they'd read her stories from the newspaper that said that Sherry had left home on her own and they'd laugh at her and tell her that no one believes her. And then they told her the guy buying her was a cop and that she'd never be found. Buying her. Yes. She didn't like that the officers were in the room with them and like writing down everything that she was saying. She said she never saw the women's entire faces. They kept them covered with a face mask and they were like, the pandemic type face mask, like the medical face mask. Oh, you know? okay. I was thinking of like a like a full um, like, like a, yeah, like like a Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> no, and they always wore black leather gloves. She said the younger one had curly, long brown hair that was the type she said that would get frizzy if she didn't put product in it. She was wearing. <laughs> <laughs> she said. She said, exactly. She said the woman was wearing brown shoes that she said looked like guest knockoffs, blue jeans, <laughs> big hoop earrings, and that she had very thin eyebrows. <laughs> okay. All right. The older one was taller and fat with straight black hair and some gray in it and a raspy voice. The older kidnapper. That's me right now. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> That's when the sketch, we just talked about that, when like they're sketching you, I'm like, that's me. Uh-huh, with a mask Black on. hair with gray on top. <laughs> you called it. The older kidnapper liked to hit her, and the younger one would yell at her in Spanish. That's all she could remember to describe them, but she was later able to help put together a composite sketch of these women. Of course. Of course. Right. Keith continued asking her questions, and she said she couldn't remember a lot of the details, but she did say that after she tried to break the boards off the windows, the kidnappers chained her up in the closet of the room that had shelves and like a metal pole in the closet. They hooked uh. a cable and a chain to the pole and then hooked the chain around Sherry's waist. She said there was enough length on the chain to reach the bed, but she couldn't reach the door. She was left in there with a bucket to use as a toilet. Oh. I know. Did they clean the bucket? She did, but she told the younger one would and she told her that it would make her job a lot easier if she put kitty litter in the bucket. So they did. Oh, that's nice. That was smart. Yeah. She told police once that she was forced to wear an adult diaper, but she never mentioned the diaper again in later retellings. She tried her best to describe the location where she was kept. She said they played music really loudly. It was mariachi music, which Sherry described as, quote, that really annoying Mexican music. <gasps> Stop it. I yeah. Love... Ugh. Okay, Sherry. I'm... <laughs> All right. I'll give it to you because you've been traumatized. But Yeah, I know. That's rude. She said they would watch TV and she could smell a fireplace. She said it made a creaky sound. It was really cold and it seemed to rain almost every night. She said she heard birds, but she couldn't hear anything else because they put the stereo right outside her door and played the music super loud. They'd feed her once a day, maybe an apple or rice or tortillas, sometimes dry cream of wheat and scraps like the fat off of a piece of meat. If she behaved, they'd give her more. She said everything tasted horrible and was just leftover crap. 
She tried to establish a routine while she was locked up to keep her sanity. So she tried to like exercise every day, but it was tough to keep track of the days because she was sleeping at irregular times. She said she tried to manipulate her abductors by offering to cook or clean for them, but they would just hit her. She said they branded her after she tried to escape for the first time, but later said it was punishment for making too much noise. And then also said it was because her buyer wanted her branded, like that was what he liked. She said the kidnappers brought in a table, tied her to it, and hit her in the back. And Sherry was able to describe this table. She even found a picture online that looked like the table and gave it to the police. She said it was the older kidnapper that did the branding, while the younger one stood nearby holding the tools that they used. She said when they branded her, her skin made a sizzling, popping sound, and that it was incredibly painful. She tried to pay attention to what the kidnappers said around her, but they mostly communicated in Spanish, and she didn't understand very much of it. She heard them say something about a gamble. She vaguely understood the insults they threw at her. And she heard them talking about medicine and traffic cameras. She was asked how her hair came to be cut, and Sherry said she didn't know. She thought maybe it was because she'd made too much noise. Whenever she'd move around, the chain would clang against the metal pole, and they would get really mad. She said when they cut her hair, they held the hair in her face and told her they were going to send it to her mother. She said her release happened so suddenly. The younger abductor came in, grabbed her, and before she knew it, she was in the car. She thought maybe a pillowcase was put over her head at some point, but she didn't know when or how. She tried to stay awake during the drive, but she kept falling asleep. Then, suddenly, the car stopped, and the kidnapper told her to get out. By the time Sherry got the pillowcase off her head, the kidnapper's car was long gone. Oh, I would have thought... If I was her, I would have thought they were going to take me to, like, whoever was buying me. Yeah. I, yeah, that would have been what been I thought panicking. was happening. I know. She saw a church nearby, so she ran over there and banged on the door, but nobody came. And that's when she ran to the freeway and tried flagging down cars. It was just the most amazing story of survival. Sherry Papini, hero. Why do I feel like that's not it? I don't know where you would get that impression. <laughs> from your smug little face girl there is nothing smug about this mug right here <laughs> you got a smug mug <laughs> sherry was able to get about thirty thousand dollars from the california victims compensation board and that was used to get therapy to help her manage her anxiety and her ptsd they also received nearly fifty thousand dollars from gofundme which was spent paying off credit cards and on personal expenses. Meanwhile, her composite sketch of the two Hispanic women was released and tips started to come pouring in. Anytime two Hispanic women were together anywhere, someone would call a tip in. Oh, I saw these two mm. Mexican women at Walmart or whatever. The Latina community in Reading was really scared that they would look like one of the women in that sketch. And so they stopped walking around the community in pairs. They wouldn't drive to work in SUVs. I'm it sure these really, sketches are very generalized, like as the description, you know? I mean, like, Exactly. Like, and they've got a face mask on. They're like, yes, yeah, one's old, one's young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One has curly like hair. Any mother-daughter pair is freaking out. E exactly. But there were just certain things about Sherry that seemed odd to the detectives. 
In one interview, they asked her about this blog post they'd found that was written by her on MySpace in 2007. Uh, (laughs) Oh, Sherry, take it from two girls who know. Don't be writing blogs on the internet. (laughs) Come on. You should know better. I'm so glad those are down because every heartache and breakup, I felt the world just needed needed to know. know. And they didn't. I know. Well, here you go, Sherry. (laughs) This blog post was from 2007. This is like before she'd even been married to Keith. So it was a while before the kidnapping, like nine years or so. The title of the blog was Keep Walking. And it was a rant against a group of Latina girls that she said used to pick on her in high school. The post stated, quote, I used to come home in tears because I was getting suspended from school all the time for defending myself against Latinos. The chief problem was that I was drug-free, white, and proud of my blood and heritage. This really irked a group of Latino (laughs) girls. This really irked a group of Latino girls, which would constantly rag and attack me. The Post went on to say that she fought the girls and that it took three full-grown men to pull her off them. She said she broke one girl's nose and split her eyebrow. She wrote about how her father was proud of her after the fight. The end of oh, the- I'm sure. I'm sure he is. Mm. There's no doubt in my mind. <laughs> yeah. The end of the post stated, Being white is more than just being aware of my skin, but of standing behind skinheads who are always around in spirit as well and having pride for my country. She calls them, she literally talks about supporting skinheads. Yes. That's what she writes that. Yes. Well, I already was out on her when <laughs> she referred to it as a chief problem. Who's saying that? I think you were already <laughs> out on her when she called the mariachi music that annoying Mexican Yeah, music. <laughs> first of all. I'm sure it wasn't even mariachi music. I'm sure she just uses that as a blanket statement for anything that's not in English. You know, like that's a very specific Mm -hmm. type of music. Well, it was, yeah, and it was the police that kind of determined, okay, she's talking about mariachi music. But it's interesting that they find this blog post that is her ranting against like a group of Latina girls. And then nine years later... When she's kidnapped and she's giving a description of her kidnappers, it just happens to be two Hispanic women. That was a little yeah, interesting. I you know? would say that is interessante. Yeah. Now, Sherry told detectives that she had not written that post, which she said was awful. Her MySpace account had been hacked. Someone else had written this post because uh, I know hackers that just love to break into people's MySpace accounts and write rage-fueled racist rants against uh, groups of people just uh, just because. Why didn't I think of that excuse when I was out there making my Facebook status my crushes? Oh, I got hacked. Yeah. She Sherry, said... Sit down. She said that before the kidnapping, she'd even hired an attorney to try and have the post removed. I'm not sure if that story was ever corroborated. Just delete your account. We've all done it. Right. And police at this point were starting to doubt her story. Like, if it's true that these people wanted to sell Sherry into sexual slavery, why would they chop her hair off? Why would they mess up her face? Why would they mess up her body? There were just Mm -hmm. inconsistencies in her story. Like, how did she get the zip ties from her back to her front to chew them apart? That reminds me of that story of 
Denise Haskins was it, with the, the wetsuits in Australia. No, oh. this is the one with the wetsuits that yeah. she she was kidnapped and everybody like the police all said it was a hoax for like oh a long yeah. time. That but that really did happen. No, right. I was thinking of there was something about Oh, the girl that the, went to her boyfriend's house and disappeared for 5 years. No. The, yeah, the girl <laughs> in the I cabinet. you to keep guessing random what. No, that's no, the one No, that's the one you're about. talking about. Yes it is. The one Bitch, with the no, girl. It's not. Well, you're not talking about you. the one where the boyfriend got killed in the outback and then the girl like was blamed for it. Where she, No, but where she, is that the one where the girl walks out into the middle of the road and the trucker stops and she has like the tape around her arms? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. That's what this reminds me of because wasn't her story weird? A lot of people think so. I I think so. We know, That one was unsolved, right? Peter's still missing. Unsolved. Well, no, they solved it. They solved it, but people think that that they're wrong. People think they got the wrong guy. Anyways, okay. Well, now we've hollered at each other. Police are kind of thinking this is weird, but because these aren't the like ridiculously awful police from the Denise Haskins case, they did actually continue to investigate the case. They did their normal detective thing. They seized her clothes as evidence, and they found DNA of an unknown male on her underwear and her sweatpants, which oh. seemed weird. She said she was abducted by two women, so how are they finding this male DNA? But it was definitely a lead. Wait, I'm sorry. Where'd the DNA come from? Her clothes. Her clothes that they had seized. Oh. Her sweatpants and her underwear. They also had Sherry's phone analyzed, and they found a couple of weird things. There were two phone numbers stored under women's names. But they actually belong to men. Oh, One was I already a man know. Who... I already know what this woman did. Male DNA in her underwear. <laughs> She's having an affair. She... Oh. Mm. One was a man who lived in Detroit, but he was in California at the time of Sherry's disappearance. Police investigated him, and he told them that he and Sherry had been involved with each other back in 2011, and they'd kept in touch and flirted over the years. And they'd planned to meet up while he was in California, but he said they never had. Police were able to clear him as a suspect. I don't really have any more details about that, but they did. So they looked at the other Mm -hmm. phone number, which was a former boyfriend. This ex-boyfriend told police that Sherry was an attention-hungry person who told stories to get attention. (laughs) He told them that she'd made up stories about being a victim of abuse from her family and then lied about him abusing her after they'd broken up. Her friends all confirmed this. Oh, wow. I know. They told police that when Sherry was younger, she was crazy and wild. She would frequently run away and make up lies, especially about being the victim of abuse. Dang, Sherry. I mean, I'm glad that people are telling the truth, but get some better friends, you know? <laughs> I will be a better person and get better yeah, friends. Yeah, I mean, you know? true. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd ride her out. I'd be, I'd be first yeah. in line to ride her ass out, but I'm just saying. They found police reports from 2003 that were made by Sherry's mother saying that her 21-year-old daughter was harming herself and blaming it on her. Oh, my gosh. These were all some major red flags to police, especially along with the inconsistencies in her story. But they weren't willing to just give up on the investigation because if this had really happened, these people needed to be stopped. You know, the brutality of her injuries was just so horrible that it was really hard to believe. It would be self-inflicted, especially the branding. 
So Mm -hmm. unless they had strong evidence to disprove her story, they were going to move along with the investigation, which, thank you, is how these things should be done. I always get really excited when, like, an investigation is happening as it should. (laughs) Uh, Same. But it's always in the wrong spot, like here. I know. (laughs) I know. Several years went by with no luck tracking down these sex trafficking kidnappers. So on September 26th, 2019, so this is like almost three years later, like th- like a month shy of three years, the Shasta County Sheriff's Office requested a familial DNA search for the unknown male DNA that was found in Sherry's underwear. This is when they get the DNA from like the ancestry, the 23andMe, all right. those things. And they look for a relative of the DNA and see if they can track them down that way. Go down. We've had cases where that's happened. Yeah, we have had several. Six months later, on March 19th, 2020, they got a match back of a potential relative of that DNA. This match had two biological sons. One of those sons was Sherry's ex-boyfriend, James Reyes. Ex-fiance, actually. Ex-fiance. I was thinking it was Keith. No, not Keith. I was like, wait a second. Something weird. (laughs) The police look into this James Reyes, and they even go on his brother's social media page, and they find a photo of a table, like in a picture in the background, that fit the description of the one Sherry said she was branded over. It was like, this is the exact same table. So mm-hmm. in June, FBI agents went to James's house in Costa Mesa, California, which is nearly 600 miles from where Sherry lived in Redding. I forget how big California is. It's huge. Not as big as Texas. Nope. Nope. Yeehaw. Nope. <laughs> nope. They snooped through the trash and they grabbed a bottle of green tea that had been thrown away and they tested the mouth of the bottle and the DNA so was hard. an exact match to the DNA found on Sherry. So- this is the guy that matches the DNA. But was she there voluntarily? And all signs point to yes. Well, let's see. On August 10th, 2020, investigators interviewed James Reyes, and what he said blew their minds. Just kidding. At this point, there were so many inconsistencies in Sherry's story that they were pretty doubtful of it. But it would blow the minds of the rest of the world who didn't know all of that. James said that he helped Sherry run away. He said that she Mm. was a good friend and that she'd asked him for help to escape her husband who was beating and raping her. She told him. Yeah. She'd told him that she'd filed police reports, but that the police weren't doing anything to stop her husband's abuse. And James said he was just trying to be a good friend. He said that he and Sherry had known each other since they were like 13 or 14. They'd been friends a long time. They'd previously been engaged, but they hadn't spoken in a long time, not since she'd really gotten married and had kids. But she called him out of the blue to ask for his help. She said she had a plan to run away to him and that she'd been saving up her cash and she was going to mail it to him for her to use while she was with him. And he's like, okay, that's fine. Yes, but he thought he was like helping her. Well, then you call like then she then she gets to your place and you call the police or you like she gets to your place. I don't know. There's got to be something better than like she pretends to have been abducted and then like you brand her and and then what just for her to get out and go back to her husband. Yeah, 
I don't know. I don't know. Clearly not the most well thought out of plans, <laughs> for sure. But honestly, I've heard worse here. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pro's custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pro's proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. They finally agreed on a plan. James would drive to Reading and pick her up. Real complicated stuff here. And by agreed on a plan, I mean Sherry sent him a care package that included the location of where she wanted him to pick her up. The police asked if anyone else, like two Hispanic women, perhaps, were involved in this escape, and he said no. She just made them up. Made that up? From James had a- 2006 blog? Yeah, exactly, 2007. James had a friend rent a car for him to use, but didn't tell him why he needed it. So uh, the friend rented a Dodge Challenger, And on November 2nd, 2016, he got up super early and drove the Challenger from Costa Mesa to Redding. It's like an eight-hour drive. He had to take off work for this. After he got to Redding, Sherry texted him from the prepaid phone and told him where exactly to pick her up. Did I talk about these prepaid prepaid phones? phones. Oh, I did. (laughs) Well, we have before. As you know, I'm very familiar. (laughs) Yes. They had like, yeah, switched to communicating on, on prepaid phones. I'm going to go back to having a prepaid phone. <laughs> still make those. They're no, still- you're not. Yes, they do. He pulled up next to her while she walked down the road and she climbed into the backseat of the car. And then James drove straight back to Costa Mesa, only stopping a few times for gas and coffee. That's like 16 hours of driving in one day. Yikes. Oof. He said they didn't talk did much 12 on the- 12 and it was miserable. Yeah. Yeah. He said they didn't talk much on the drive. She seemed worried about her kids, but that was about it. During the 16 enti- hours and you don't talk much? No. Well, eight hours with her, yeah. Well, Eight hours still. up, eight hours back with her. Yeah, exactly. You're not talking for any of it. Right. During the entire length, of- I hope they had some good podcasts to listen to then. <laughs> no, they didn't. They were playing like the license plate game at best. They were not playing the license game because they weren't talking. 
This sounds awful. And you're in a Dodge Challenger. Like, that cannot be comfortable for 16 hours. <laughs> His friend couldn't have Great gotten point. him a nice a nice midsize SUV. <laughs> Where's the minivan when you need it? With some, with some lumbar support. <laughs> lumbar support. Tell me you're over 30 without telling me. <laughs> During the entire length of her disappearance, she stayed at his house and never left. He picked up some clothes for her to wear at Target, TJ Maxx, or Ross, but he didn't buy much for her, and mostly just gray or dark sweats and t-shirts. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> yeah. He said he had a two-bedroom apartment, and Sherry picked which room she wanted to stay in while he slept on the couch. I'm not sure why he didn't sleep in the second bedroom. That wasn't really clear. They said it was two bedrooms. Maybe but then he slept on the though. couch. But then how is she picking her room? I don't know. Like, it, that was mm. weird. When police looked at the room that Sherry stayed in, they saw the closet was a lot like the closet that Sherry described, including the pole that she would told them about in this closet. Police asked him if there were ever boards over the windows, and he said yes, but only because she'd asked him to put them up. It was like a few sheets of particle board. James told investigators that he felt like Sherry was purposefully trying to lose weight while she was there. She ate whatever he bought, but she just ate really small portions. So wait, he's like not... So he... Okay. I understand he thinks he's saving her from this like really terrible situation. But he doesn't understand mm -hmm. that she is, like, essentially, like, secretly, like, torturing herself or, like, trying to make it, like, seem that she's... Oh, no. She does. We'll get to the injuries. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get to the injuries. They asked him about her hair, and he said that he came home from work one day and she had just cut it all off and that it was pretty early on into her disappearance that she'd done that. So, yeah, then they asked him about all those injuries, the swollen nose, the bruises, the burns. He said he helped her create some of the injuries, but he never actually, like, hurt her with himself, like his hands. She'd tell him to throw something at her, like, throw this hockey puck at my leg. And so he would. And he said the burns were all self-inflicted by Sherry. He said he thought it was weird. He was really confused by it, but he just went along with it. No. He said she injured. Dude, you're asking I know. more questions. I know. He's what about she, when there's all these like news reports of like trying to find her and the news, like when the whole world is like looking for her. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't I think, think like, well, hey, she's in my other bedroom. Or do you think I'm in big, tr I have gotten myself into a situation and I have no idea how to get myself out of this situation without getting into m massive trouble. I mean, you're definitely thinking that, but you've got to think, right, that like, well, I should report it now because if I keep going with this for like another three weeks, it's about to be worse. I don't know. It's easier for me to like judge now after the fact, but. Ugh. Yeah, I think when you're already in it, you're like, no, I can't. I'll figure something out. And then three weeks go by and you're like, damn, I should have reported it three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. He said she injured her nose by slamming a hockey stick into her own face. Oh, my God. Who's doing that? I know. Sherry Pepini. Sherry Pepini. Then they asked him about the branding. 
James told investigators that within the first week of her disappearance, Sherry told him to go to Hobby Lobby and get a wood burning kit, like a wood burning tool. Ew. Uh, I know. By this time, Sherry was checking the news stories about her disappearance on her phone, and she knew what a media sensation her story had become, and so she needed him to go uh, to go get it without her so that she wouldn't be seen. So James Wait, went by him. she's checking that on her prepaid phone? Because she doesn't have her iPhone. Yeah, Dang, I guess so. Bro. Yeah. So James went by himself to the Hobby Lobby. They have, like, prepaid smartphones, you know. Times are changing. Lucky, lucky for those people. They are changing. So James went by himself to the Hobby Lobby, and he got the tool using cash to make the purchase. He got home, and he branded her. She told him the phrase that she wanted on her shoulder, but James couldn't remember what it was. Which seems really weird to me. Like, you've literally burned this into someone's skin, and you can't remember what it says? Yeah, you're de- It's You can. It's keeping you up at night. It should be. Right. Like, you're remembering the E and the X and the O. You know what I mean? Like, you're remembering yeah. each letter you stamp on her back. He also said that she didn't really complain about the pain at all. She, this girl, this, she not human. I just keep thinking about her kids. I know. Then, just before Thanksgiving, Sherry asked James to bring her back, saying that she missed her kids and wanted to go home. Actually, what she said to him was, quote, I'm ready to go. <laughs> just after three weeks. He was like, seriously? So once again, James asked his friend to rent a car for him, and he used that car to drive her back home to Reading. Sherry stayed in the back seat, and it took them about seven hours to get there because they didn't make any stops. And on the way- No stops? No stops. She's wearing a diaper for sure. (laughs) On the way, Sherry threw her prepaid phone out the window, and James said he dropped her off on a country road alongside an orchard not on the side of I-5 where she was found. She had a bag with her when he dropped her off that had the items used to, like, bind her wrists and ankles, even the chain that was around her waist. And then James drove back to Orange County and went to Thanksgiving dinner at his aunt's house. You think he's talking about that, like, at the dinner table? I'm like, Like, when they have to go around and say what they're thankful for? Is he like, well, to get rid of this? Yes. (laughs) I'm so <laughs> thankful that I'm no longer have a hostage situation in my apartment. Yeah, but I feel like the next month or so is going to be a little sticky, so. Yeah. James told investigators that he was pretty rattled by this whole experience. While she was with him, he thought that he was helping out a friend, and it didn't occur to him that he was doing anything wrong or something that he could get in trouble for until he started seeing the news reports about her reportedly being kidnapped. And he said calling the police to tell them his story would have been like turning himself in, and he wasn't going to do that. But that if police came to him, he'd kind of like made a decision in his mind. Like, if the police come to me, I'll tell them the truth. But I'm not going to go to them and like volunteer the information. Yeah, but like, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Like, I'm struggling with that. Like, you're struggling to understand why why he would think like that? I, I know. I or mean, you I just get think it. you would have made a different choice. Uh, oh, whoa. Okay. You're coming back in with the dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess just like if you're going to go ahead and like 
divulge all of this? Like, you're being very truthful with the police, I'm assuming. Like, were you just going to, like, what's the difference if you go to them versus they come to you? Like, I think it would have looked better to go to them. Because now it's like. I don't think it's about looking better. It's about he doesn't want to turn himself in. But if their investigation leads to him, then okay. okay. He is caught and he's going to tell them what he knows. Yeah. Right. Because he's thinking maybe I won't get caught. But man, how do you? Yeah. Yeah. I know. Investigators were able to corroborate James's story in a couple of ways. He had information about her injuries that had never been released to the media. They found phone records that put them in contact several months before her disappearance. His work schedule showed that he'd requested November 1st and 2nd off when he's driving up to get her. Yep. And they found rental car receipts that showed his friend had rented a Dodge Challenger and then later a Mitsubishi Outlander on the days that he said. Mm, Definitely more comfortable than the Outlander. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (sighs) James's cousin lived across the street from him, and both he and his wife knew that Sherry was staying with James. They told investigators that James had told them that Sherry was in an abusive relationship and that she needed help leaving because the police weren't investigating any of the abuse allegations. So now investigators have this story of James's corroborated in all of these ways that prove that Sherry's entire story was a hoax. So yeah. they bring her in for Let's, an interview. I want to know what Keith has to say. I'm, I'm curious. Mm-hmm. So they bring her in for an interview to basically ask her, like, what the hell? And yeah. this is on August 13th, 2020. And Keith was with her for the interview. And they start off by telling her they just want the truth. And they remind her that it is a crime to lie to federal officers. And let's just reflect on these lies for a moment because they truly are spectacular. I mean, she was so convincing because of trauma from the bathroom at the house that she was held in, like she was supposedly held Mm -hmm. in. She couldn't go to the bathroom alone and Keith would have to go with her. I mean, it's these little details. That she's doing to, like, keep up the charade, you know? Like, all the – well, she got the money for all those things. Yeah, but it's, like, not that much money. I mean, it's, like, a lot of – like, it. you know, it's not, like, three weeks of my life torture myself. Oh, yeah. $50,000. For sure. But it's not like they give it to her cash, right? Like, she has to use it for those services? Only the the $30,000 had the victim's – yeah, the victim's compensation fund had to be used specifically. And they they paid directly to the therapist. They did not give Sherry the money. But the GoFundMe was put directly into Keith's and her account. Yeah, but, like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is an incentive. It's money. But it's just not enough for me to say that's why she did it, you know? Right. It's just not enough. If there was a loud door slam or something like that, she would freak out, like, you know, faking PTSD. And, like, but none of it ever actually happened. You know, there was no trauma in the bathroom. She's just playing Mm -hmm. it up so well. And she's, like, keeping – and this is years, you know? This is, like, four – Let's see, we're in August of 2020, like almost four years later. And in this interview, she is trying so hard. She seems giddy when the police tell her they found the place where she was held captive. She looks like she's so excited. She was like, oh, my God, tell me, tell me, tell me. 
So they showed her pictures. And they're like, you're friends apart. Yes. So they showed her pictures of James's apartment. Oh, yeah. She was like, you know, this looks similar, but this is not the place that I stay. She cannot be for real. She cannot be for real. Just wait. They showed her a picture of the closet that matched exactly with a picture that Sherry had drawn in a previous interview. And again, Sherry's like, "Mm, they're similar, but that wasn't it. They show her pictures of the room that James said she stayed in. And Sherry was like, I feel like the wood paneling was too thick. Like she remembered Uh, it going all the way up to the window. The paneling was too thick. They showed her a picture of the bathroom at James's apartment, which matched the layout that Sherry had described to police. And she said it was the same layout, but... She didn't remember the bathroom looking like that. She said it was different. Oh. Keith is in the room in this interview, and he's so excited. He thinks this is the break in the case they've been waiting for. He thinks they found his wife's abductors. His wife that he has stood by for the last four years. Well, like there were rumors. There were accusations about her lying. And he continued to like, Stand up for her and defend her. And, and like, then, be so, I'm sure, like, attentive of, like, she's scared all the time. She needs him all the time. Like, yes. he is, it's not just, like, he's supporting her in the spotlight. Like, I can't go to the bathroom by myself. I Every loud noise is, like, you. I'm sure he's not, like, leaving to go to work and she's, like, at home by herself. Like, I'm sure his whole life has changed. I bet you're right. Yeah. And then the mood in the room shifts. It just totally changes. These detectives, they tell her that they've spoken with a person that had all of the information about her kidnapping, and they give her the option to have Keith there or to have him leave. And the detectives leave so she and Keith can talk it over. And Keith is like, obviously, I want to stay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And she tells Keith that she doesn't actually want the police to find her kidnapper because she'd saved her life because she was the reason that she got to hold her kids every night. And so she didn't want them to find her and arrest her and for her to get in trouble. Wait, what? Mm-hmm. Say yeah, that again. Keith, Explain it to me again. So the girl, like she's talking about the younger kidnapper that released that her. Mm-hmm. And she's saying like, she saved my life by doing that. And I don't want her to get in trouble for this. I don't want the police to find her. And Keith told her. I'm not drunk enough for this. (laughs) That's basically (laughs) what Keith said. (laughs) Keith told her, quote, you're not making sense. (laughs) Yeah. To a point where I'm getting scared now. (gasps) Oh, good, Keith. Okay. The detectives come back in. Keith stays in the room. And the detectives tell her. The DNA found on you belongs to James Reyes. And when they said that, she like immediately, all in kind of one motion, she scoots forward to the edge of her seat and she uncrosses her legs and crosses them the other way. And her arms are crossed in her lap and she's leaning forward. Like her body language is so telling, but I'm just not sure what it's telling. Like she's definitely trying to act like shocked and eager, but... Yeah. Like she, but you know this, girl. Like, you know. <laughs> you know. They told her that they'd spoken to him, they'd given him a polygraph, and they had laid out all of the evidence they had that backed up James's story. 
and they tell her the reason she lost so much weight was because she stopped eating. The reason she was branded was because you went to the store and bought the tools and branded you. And the reason your nose was broken was because you bashed your face with a hockey stick. Oh, my God. She's like shitting her pants. (laughs) She's got to (laughs) be shitting her pants. At this point, her head is in her hands and they tell her, they just keep talking to her, her head's in her hands. And they're like, this was not an abduction. And then she says, and this is the, this is the genius that she is. She just says, there's no way it was James. No, it couldn't. It can't be him. (laughs) Oh my God. The Oscar ghost. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Like she's trying to play it off. Like, she didn't know James was behind this whole thing. She's like, what? No, not James. There's no Girlfriend. way. Stop. At this point, Keith just gets up and walks out of the room. Oh, for sure. He's like, I am done here. He's done. Like, the last four years of his life are, like, colliding together. Oh, my heart is, like, breaking for him. I know. I know. I know. It's truly awful. One of the detectives followed Keith out. The other one stayed in the room with Sherry. And it seemed amazing that she was looking at all of this very compelling evidence and still really sticking to her story. And then they show Mm -hmm. her proof of phone contact between her and James. And then she starts sobbing into her hands, saying this was all her fault for flirting with other men. Like, she was flirting with James, and he got the idea to kidnap her. Like, she's saying, like, she flirted with him, and that made him kidnap her. Yeah. No, we're not not doing that. She definitely tried to take control of the interview. She kept her head in her hands. She interrupted detectives. She refused to answer questions by just sobbing into her hands. She just kept saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And then she tells them that she is done talking to them without a lawyer because she will not allow them to arrest this woman who saved her life. And then continues to say, (laughs) there there is no way this is James. He wouldn't do this to me. He loves me. Oh, the the detective says, he did love you. I agree. Yeah, because no person is doing that. Mm -hmm. All of that. Yeah, just to to be a good friend. Help a friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Detectives then spoke with Keith, who was like, well, I guess I'm the idiot husband who stayed around the whole time. He was so angry, so upset, so emotional. He said he didn't want her anywhere around him, anywhere around his kids, and he just didn't know what to do. I mean, you're definitely getting custody for sure. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. On March 3rd, 2022, the news broke. Sherry Papini had made the whole thing up. The news went absolutely wild. I could not turn my head without seeing news pop up about this case. And this was just a few months before we covered the Denise Haskins kidnapping, where police thought it was a hoax, but it turned out to be real. It's like the opposite of this Mm -hmm. one. So when I was looking into that case, a lot of stuff came up about this case, too. But apparently, faking your own kidnapping isn't actually against the law. But wait, what? Yeah, you can fake your own kidnapping all you want, I guess. But wait, give me some more details on that. (laughs) I mean, you have the right to disappear. Like, if you want to go disappear, you can go disappear. 
But making false statements to a federal agent, that is a crime. And she was told that when she mm. when they brought her in for the interview, they told her, like, just as a reminder, it's super illegal to lie to us. So don't do that. So wait a second. If she would have done all of this and then they would have found her and she said, I was trying to disappear and hide from my husband or whatever. If she told them all the truth, like, mm -hmm. that would have been fine. Correct. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. But like, when you say it, you don't really think about that. Yeah. Yeah, because you're an adult. It's illegal for you to disappear if you want to disappear. And that's like what police always fall back on when they can't solve a kidnapping or a missing persons case. They're like, it's not against the law to, you know, they're free to disappear. They can just do that if they want. And it's like, that's not what happened. But yeah, like, that is what like happened here. Child endangerment, though? Like, they just left their kids? Yeah. Well, they the kids yeah. were at daycare. Yeah, but I, I guess I just meant, like, in general. <laughs> but people walk out on their kids all the time. Well, and they, so, yeah. yeah, and she hmm. was, yeah, and they were with their dad. I mean, it's not like they were left completely yeah. alone. Got deadbeat parents everywhere. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's also against the law to take funds from the Victims' Compensation Board under false mm. pretenses. And they were able mm -hmm. to charge her with mail fraud for that. <laughs> mail fraud? That's it? Ma mail fraud is pretty steep. Oh, I know. From my boy down at the post office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remember when I wanted to use that stamp and he told me how serious that was? <laughs> exactly. That is mail fraud. Mocab. They charged her with 34 counts of mail fraud because they charged her for every single time that the Victims' Compensation Fund made a payment to that therapist or whatever. And she was charged with one count of making false pretenses. And with all of these charges, she was facing like 25 years in prison for this. So wow. she finally decided to come clean and avoid a trial. She took a plea deal where she had to admit in writing what she'd done, that she'd made the whole thing up. She released a statement that said, I'm deeply ashamed of myself for my behavior and so very sorry for the pain that I have caused. I will work the rest of my life to make amends for what I have done. Like, copy-paste, whatever. I'm any more than that. Yeah. Definitely. There was a sentencing hearing, and the judge sentenced her to 18 months in prison, followed by 36 months of supervised release, which was actually over twice what the prosecution was seeking. They were seeking, like, eight months in jail or something, and the judge sentenced her to 18. What? I want, <laughs> I want way more than that. Yeah. She was also ordered to pay more than $300,000 in restitution for all of the resources that she wasted over the four years that were spent investigating this case. Part of the reason for this steeper sentence was to deter other people from trying to fake their own kidnapping and profiting off of it, but also because all of the people who were impacted, which included the Latino community say, yeah. in Redding, like she caused innocent people to become targets of a criminal investigation and caused a community to be in fear of a certain race of people. And I think and that... And just all the damage that that does that you can't undo. Like, the people mm -hmm. that are racist and are out there, like, truly thinking this is like, oh, these Mexicans right. are going to come get us. Like, they're not reading the headline that she faked it all and then thinking like, oh, you know what? Right. They, I'm going to walk not, back like, oh. that, Yeah. And, right. I, you know, I think that MySpace post proves that that was no accident that she did that. 
Right. Keith Papini is the true victim in this case. He stood loyally by her. He defended her credibility for years. He was on the news crying over her, only to find out that this whole thing was a ruse. He has filed for divorce, and he is seeking full custody of the kids, citing significant mental health issues and stating that Sherry is not in a position to provide good parenting to their kids who have spent the last five years being lied to by their mother about what happened to her. And how do you recover from that? Like, those kids are going to have to, like, think about, well, my mom actively chose to leave us and then Mm -hmm. do all of this to our dad and, like, come up with all the... I mean, like, I don't know how you reconcile that in your mind. No, uh, lots of therapy. Lots of therapy. In the filings, he also asked to be relieved of the responsibility for her debts and any obligations that arise from her criminal behavior. So he's like, I don't want to be responsible for this restitution she's got to pay. None of this. An article in the Daily Mail tried to, which I know is the most credible of sources, but they tried to explain Sherry's behavior. And to me, it's probably the best explanation we're really going to get. It was this forensic psychiatrist, Dr. Ian Lamoureux, who has not examined Sherry. This is like just his opinion based on, you know, media coverage. But he said that it's a mistake to assume mental illness is the cause of unusual behavior and that there could be a more rational explanation. He's done research on the false hero phenomenon, where a person takes advantage of society's treatment of victims as heroes. And he said that those who fake their own victimization might be seeking recognition or popularity. If a mental illness is involved, it's probably something like narcissistic or histrionic personality disorders. Or she may have faked her kidnapping to avoid some consequence of something. Like others have done similar things Mm -hmm. to avoid a divorce or being fired or something like that, which neither of those really seem to apply in her case. But maybe there was something else she was trying to get out of. He said that manufacturing a crisis is a way for people with fragile egos and poor coping skills to try and prevent that bad outcome from happening. Right. I think with all of the incidents in her past that she did it for the attention and maybe even for a thrill, something to stir up the monotony a bit, you know, something like that. James said she'd just sit around the apartment watching and reading the news stories about her on her phone. You know, I hope it was really satisfying for her. I mean, I was wondering, like, is that what she was doing in her free time? Because, like, at first, before, well, like, when you kind of said she went with James before we got into, like, what all they were doing, I was like, mm-hmm. are they just, like, is she in love with them? And they're, like, staying up and talking and, like, having romantic whatever. Or is he it, like, He said they, oh, like, so hardly fun. ever really She's talked. Like, Mm-mm. Right. Like, so it almost seems like her activity was obsessing about mm-hmm. her whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. The sensation that she had caused. Mm-hmm. I know. And that's why she wanted to go back because she wanted to experience it. It makes you think about like if you could like dis- not disappear in this way, but like if I could remember that time when I it was COVID and I was so just like I turned my spare bedroom into an Airbnb and couldn't be interrupted and I was like I'm gonna read all the magazines and the books and watch all the TV (laughs) and like if I truly was like disappeared no one knew how to contact me like what would I do Mm -hmm. like with all that free time like think of all the things yeah but yeah she just sat there and like caused so much pain for all these people to get 
this tragic, like, oh, it's a tragedy. She's missing. She's abducted. But now everyone knows. It's like you undid everything that you were trying to do. Mm -hmm. You made your situation like, now no one feels any sympathy for you. No one cares about you. No, like. Right. Right. Like, you're a a joke. Yeah. Now. Like, this is not the attention that she wanted, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is the disappearance of Sherry Papini. Man. I know. I got so many thoughts about this. I know. I know. It's uh, just truly bizarre. I mean, it's just bizarre. It's just so damaging, too, when we, like, Mm -hmm. make a blanket, like, oh, two Latina women, you know, or, like, the the fear that is caused. Look, if I ever fake my own kidnapping, I'm blaming it on white people. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, white people are so crazy. Like... <laughs> Truly, uh, it was two white guys. Okay, do we have I'm, any? I'm blaming it. I'm blaming it on the. I'm blaming it on the broiest white guys too. Like Chad mm-hmm. and Brad came. They were mm-hmm. wearing and they were wearing boat left- shoes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they picked me up on in a Chevy Suburban. Uh, I hope with Chad or Brad's on the shout outs tonight. Let's see. I'm going to go back to back in case I cut out. Are you ready? Ready. Shout out time. These people get our undying love and devotion for being patrons, for signing up for their shout out, finding the form, filling it out, giving us a pronunciation, and just being all around. Love it. Top notch. If you would like a shout out on the podcast, Join the Patreon at patreon.com slash creepers, and you will also get our undying love and devotion. And if you sign up at the $7 or the $10 level and uh, you provide your mailing address, you'll get a card autographed from Kristen and I, which is really fun. But you got to give us your mailing oh, address. Yeah. I always need to say that. Okay. You do. You do. Yeah. Major, major shouts to Michaela. But I love that spelling. I, I appreciate the phonetic. I do too. Letting me know, but I love the way that's spelled. Yes. Shouts to you, Michaela. It's very pretty. And shouts to Carmen Cindy Porus. I didn't get a I didn't get a pronunciation there. I hope I said that right. I think that's right, Porus. It's probably like probably gotta roll the R. Carmen Cindy Porras. There you go. Yeah. Brrr. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, very big thanks to Super Secret Trucker Girl. Oh, oh. Super Secret Trucker you know, Girl. Are you like secretly trucking? I do love a Trucker Girl. There's a few I follow on the tick, the old TikTok, and like the things oh. they have to do, like just truckers in general. But like, yeah. just seeing a woman open the like hood of a giant semi truck and like fix whatever's going on in there it gives me great joy so good for you super secret trucker girl i love you i don't even drive a truck like that i just drive a regular truck and when i get out of it i'm wearing high heels i feel like a badass so i could only imagine if it was an 18 wheeler (laughs) yeah exactly and last but certainly not least thank you so much to rose Rose. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. 
And that's all. The rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What is that saying? What's that? Romeo were, were he not? Romeo called. Retain that dear perfection without that title. Doth thy name and for thy name, which is no part of thee. Take all myself. What? (laughs) What is happening? Are you going to charge me for this classical play that I'm in right now? Montague? What is Montague? It is not hand or foot or arm or face. Or any other part belonging to a man, be some other name. A rose Why by do you any know other name. What is I this? I memorized it in between the commercials of Buffy the Vampire Slayer when I was in the sixth grade. Why? Romeo, Romeo. We the people of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> in order to form a more perfect union. <laughs> Could we be anywhere different right now? I'm dead. <laughs> Oh, thank man. you so much this for listening. We love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you so much for Do you listening love us back. I hope so. I hope so. We appreciate you. You could follow us on social media. We are on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Creepers Pod. Uh, we have a Facebook discussion group that is like almost at a thousand members, and it would be so awesome to hit that. So join us over there on Facebook, True Crime Creepers Discussion Group. We need a thousand and one because I have to keep kicking my mama out. <laughs> she keeps creeping back in. <laughs> Quit inviting her, whoever. And you are. we will be around. We will be back in mid January. So definitely subscribe so you'll know uh, when our next episode drops when we come back from our break. Woo, a break. Girl needs it. Mm-hmm. We love you. We're going to miss you, but we'll be back better than ever. Back and better than ever after some nice R&R. <laughs> and you know what we would love over our break is to read your five-star rating and reviews, specifically the written reviews. If you could give us some of those to pass the time over the holiday break, we would love you forever and ever and ever. Bye, peeps and creeps. <laughs>